Sacred Pause with Jessica Winderl. Hi, yogis, and welcome back to the One Sacred Pause podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Winderl. And as we get back into the swing of things, season five, episode two, uh, just a quick shout out to the Atman Yoga School. We have so many exciting programs coming up. And so if you'd love to join us for any of these, please send us an email at hello at atmanyogaschool.com or check out all of our offerings and registration online at www.atmanyogaschool.com. And of course, over on the gram at Atman Yoga School. So we have coming up, hopefully, fingers crossed, February 19th, uh, a few spots left for our weekend restore and yoga nidra teacher training in Oslo. And then we have that same training coming up in Trondheim, March 5th through 7th. So these trainings are awesome if you want to hit the reset button on your nervous system, slow down and learn how to teach the fundamentals of restorative yoga and a guided yoga nidra meditation practice. Uh, The training in Trondheim is filling up quickly, so snag a spot if you want to come join us. And then I'm really excited. We have a five-day intensive vinyasa yoga teacher training coming up in March in Oslo. And this is really a skills-based practical teacher training for anybody who has already graduated from a 200-hour teacher training previously. So this is all about getting into the nitty-gritty of more advanced techniques with theming and sequencing and assists and the business of yoga and all that good stuff. So again, join us. We would love to have you. So here we go. Welcome to my friend Elizabeth and episode two of season five of the One Sacred Pause podcast. Hello and welcome to the One Secret Pause podcast. I'm your host, Jessica, and I am so excited. This is our first um, Zoom online podcast episode, and today's guest is somebody I've known for a long time, and I'm so excited to talk to. So welcome to Elizabeth Lilia. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm both really excited and also very nervous. Yeah. I Well, I love that. It's great. And it's, you know something new that we're both trying. And, um, I think that's a good sign doing something new, especially during, you know, the past crazy year that we've all had and pushing ourselves a little bit and hopefully having a little fun. That's the most important thing. Yes. So would you please just kind of introduce yourself to us in your own words, what you do, where you are and yeah, we'll go from there. Yeah. Um, so I, I live in the United States. I live in the States and I live in Utah in Salt Lake city. Um, let's see what else. I am a therapist. I am also a yoga instructor and yeah. I mean, what else do you want to know? What do you, what do you want to know about that path? I'm a human. I'm a human first. Like that's kind of how I see myself. I'm like, yeah, I have these things and I do these things. Um, and these things are a part of me and like, First and foremost, I am this this person. I think therapists can often, and even yoga instructors, I don't know if you've experienced this, that there's almost this like pedestal mm. that gets made. Like, 
as a therapist, I have all my shit figured out. Or as a yoga instructor, I'm this like very like centered, blissed human. And like, <laughs> that's not actually true, right? No, of course, of course, I've experienced that. And, you know, and I was actually just thinking, you know, normally in the past, um, when I was just doing the audio recordings of the podcast, I would do a little introduction for my guests. And, you know, it's almost when you can see the other person, it's almost a little bit more vulnerable. And so flipping it around and, and asking you to introduce yourself is, um, I think a little scary, but it's also really exciting because I mean, that's the thing. And we talk, I talk about this all the time in yoga and in my yoga teacher trainings is, you know, you go to a, a, a party or you go to a work function and you introduce yourself and you're like, hi, I'm Jessica. Hi, I'm Elizabeth. And then you automatically start boxing yourself in with these identifiers of, you know, who are you? What do you do? Where do you live? How many kids do you have? And um, when you're put on the spot a little bit, I think it's almost like one of two things happens. Either you just like default to, oh, I'm a yoga teacher and a therapist, or you kind of go like, oh, I don't know. Who am I? <laughs> right. It was, it was kind of that like moment of like, Oh God, like, I don't know. Like, what do you want me to read you? I'll read you my bio. Here are all these like fancy words that are attached before therapists, like the type of therapist that I am. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Like I'm a human. I'm a person that like loves the outdoors. I'm someone that's struggled like you know I think that's more interesting oh I agree I so agree what got Um, me there like what got me to yoga what got me to being a therapist like mm -hmm. rather than I am this or I am this like I'm more curious about how that became a part of my life similarly like to how I feel about other people and I'm like what what got what got you right Exactly. And especially, you know, when people try and put on these like super shiny, pretty exteriors, like, oh, I'm a yoga teacher. Like you're just saying like, oh, I'm a yoga teacher. I float off the ground. (laughs) It's like, "Mm." and I've met yoga teachers like that. I know you have too. And it's just like, "Mm, yeah. And I actually get really turned off when I meet people like that and not just yoga teachers, but anybody, because it's so false and contrived and superficial. And I'm just like you are. I'm like, wait a minute. I want to know what makes you tick. And I want to know your story. And I think that's where we can meet on a human to human level is when people then are vulnerable and open and they're like, Hey, guess what? I've had some, you know, things happen in my life. And it's not like this perfect, like beautiful existence. Um, even though I do think beauty and love are very much a part of our lives and our birthright, but I think that can take a lot of different forms. Um, so, well, what, okay, let's start because you're a yoga teacher first before you were a therapist. So I want to pause just for like one second. I'm going to be that annoying human. It's like, <laughs> I also think, cause I think this is really important. Like that the way that we present ourselves in the mass that we present ourselves with are often so safe. Right. So I see persons who, as you just explained, there's part of me, it's like, yeah, but I wonder if that's just safer. Mm-hmm. I want it safer to be boxed in and to have this facade and to have this thing to, than to really be vulnerable. Cause so many people don't feel secure in vulnerability or safe in vulnerability. And so there's like that other side 
right, that I, I want to get curious about because I think I hid behind those facades for so long, mm. right? Importance of what this is and what that means. And while I've never really identified with being that more spiritual yoga instructor, like not that I'm not spiritual, I am for sure. Um, but that's just never, like I'm the person that says fuck all the time in my yoga classes, right? Like, and so I don't know. I just wanted to insert that piece of like the both and, right? That, yeah. And I think there's safety in that sometimes. Well, I love that. And I mean, I can talk about this all day long because (laughs) it's, to me, this is, this is like the stuff about our our humanness, um, where we feel safe and where we play small a lot of times. And I think when we confine ourselves to these parameters of what we think we should be or what we think other people want us to be. And we're like, oh, this is easier. This is the path of least resistance to be like, oh, I'm a yoga teacher. Oh, I'm a therapist. Oh, I'm a doctor. Oh, I'm a lawyer. I'm a whatever garbage man, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. But it's so much easier than for people to be like, ah, I know who you are. Ah, I know what box to put you in. And then there's, it's so much safer. And, and it also, I think, stops a lot of questions. Yes. You might get questions about like, oh, and which, you know, where do you work? (laughs) You're not going to get any questions like, huh? So, so why did you become that? Yeah. 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 Which is like, it kind of leads into that question. Like you were a yoga instructor before you were a therapist, which yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, so I started practicing yoga when I was 17. Yeah. Um, I was very, 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 very deep into an eating disorder at the time. Um, and there was yoga at the gym that I was going to. And I was always curious about yoga. I was like, well, what, what is that like? And so one day I dropped into a class and I really attribute that to the beginning of my recovery. Mm. It was this really beautiful introduction back into my body. Mm. And so from there, um, I practiced for a while. And then I want to say I was like, maybe I was 20. I was going to college, right? So I'd gone to college and was still pretty active within that ED space. So while yoga had introduced me into my body, I was definitely still using my my coping mechanisms and my responses um, to my own trauma. And then I decided to drop out of college, <laughs> like literally in the middle of a semester and was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I remember my dad like sitting me across from him in his, his office, like, what are you going to do with your life? Right. This like attorney who... I think whether he would want to admit it or not, didn't really held space for the fact that like we could be whatever we wanted, but I think probably not, <laughs> right? Like yeah. if you're sitting your kid down and telling them like, what the fuck are they going to do with their life? Cause they dropped out of college. You probably have some expectations. So, you know, he, and I remember looking at him and like very confidently and in this deep knowing, I was like, I'll be fine. Like, I'll figure this out. And it was really very shortly after that, that I found my first yoga teacher training. And it was so interesting. Like I walked up the stairs 
and I asked them about it and there was one spot left and the woman who was signing people up for it was like, there's one spot left. And she's like, what's your name? And I'm like, oh, my name's Elizabeth. And she spelled my name right. And no one ever spells my name right. Cause it's with an S not a Z. Mm. Like literally my driver's license was wrong when I was 16. Like they like the DMV. I was like, Let's correct this to a, a Z. Um, that was funny. I had to bring my passport to like prove that my name was actually spelled with an S when I needed a new one when I turned 21. Um, So funny. And so I really took that as a sign. And from there, you know, did my first teacher training and then started a company called Moab Yoga on the Rocks, which takes people backpacking. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. Backpacking yoga retreat, right? Like that was, the whole intention was like, how do I connect people or help connect people or facilitate people reconnecting with themselves through yoga and through nature. And so that's how that company was born. And then lived in Moab for a while, did that, ran retreats, came back, managed yoga studios and really just kind of went into that world for a while. And really noticed that there was this deep connection between people's experiences and their bodies. Like people hold their trauma, their life in their body. Mm-hmm. It would come out. And I'm sure you've seen this, right? In teacher oh. trainings, in retreats, like people are like, why am I crying and pigeon? I'm like, probably for a lot of reasons. Yeah. <laughs> oh. You know? And I was like, I want to be able to process this with people. You know, like it, it's not, it was not at my time, my lane, right? I was a, oh, I mean, let's be real here and for like, take a quick little, yeah, let's do it. Side space, because um, that is not only a pet peeve of mine and I'm sure of yours, but I also think it's highly unethical and um, really dangerous when, when yoga teachers don't stay in their lane and they, they, offer advice in something they're not trained in, especially something so intimate and, and possibly harmful, like the emotional space of trauma. And I, I am so strict with this in my trainings when we talk about ethics and we talk about holding space and we talk about what we are and are not qualified to address within students of ours when they do have some kind of a response through the asana practice or the meditation practice or the breath work. Um, you know, and saying, Hey, you know what, I, I, I want to be here for you. And I'm so happy you're coming to yoga, keep coming back. But actually for me to serve you in the best way possible, I'm going to recommend that you go see somebody who's, who's qualified in this profession. And, you know, most yoga teachers are not trained licensed therapists like you are. <laughs> and it's, so it's, a, I'm going to actually, I'm going to go a step further. It's offensive to me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's challenging, right? Like I see people call themselves a yoga therapist and I'm like, what does that mean? Like what, what does that mean? Cause let me, let me just tell you, at least for my, so I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Um, for me to be a licensed clinical social worker, I completed four years of undergrad in gender studies and sociology. I then had two years right, of my master's program, which I was supported in supervision that entire time. 
I then had 4,000 hours of supervision. 4,000. Okay. So that's two years. Yeah. Postgraduate school before I could be licensed, not to mention the test I had to take, which was four hours long. So, and like the continuing education, right? Like I'm EMDR certified, which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing. It's like this whole word that I can't even say. Um, But it's like, so for me, I'm like, what does that mean that you're a yoga therapist? What the fuck does that mean? Right. Well, and we can go, I mean, there's so many different things with this particular topic. I mean, first of all, for me, because I'm not in the same position you are, I find it offensive because it's, I think when, when teachers allow themselves to step into that space, um, it's, it's coming from somewhere egotistical or somewhere where they think they know better or they have, they think that they can fix something. And, you know, teaching yoga is an act of service. We do it because we, we love our communities and yoga changed our life in such a dramatic way that we want to be able to share these practices. But we also have to understand the potency that when things get unsettled or revealed through these practices, we no longer have the tools to handle that if it's something on a, on a much deeper rooted level. And so when, when a yoga teacher is like, oh yeah, I know, I know what to do for that. And oh yeah, Lord, I, there's an essential oil for that. It's to me, I just find it offensive because it's, it's coming from a place of ego rather than a place of humility. And I think a good yoga teacher has to always be staying in that space of like, Hey, I, I'm doing the best I can, but I also am not overstepping. And I'm, I'm, I'm able to say when I don't know, and I'm able to say, I don't have the answer. So that's like one whole piece of it. And then you're right. Coming back to this yoga therapy thing, you know, there's, there's the actual yoga therapist designation you can get from, from the international association of yoga therapists, which is, you know, 800 hours of yoga therapy training. So that's one thing, but then I think other people use that term real fast and loose. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I help you somatically, which, which yes, we know that yoga is this beautiful, important thing and that it helps people somatically and that it processes. But the reality is, is like, Asana isn't the best option for everyone. Meditation isn't the best option for everyone. Mindfulness isn't the best option for everyone. And I think it's important for yoga instructors to be trauma-informed and what that means with how do I speak? How do I touch? Um, Do I touch? Like how consensual is this practice? Am I giving different language or options or things to focus on? And I think that can be really powerful. And to learn how to hold space for someone if they are activated. Where I think it crosses the line is like you telling someone what they're experiencing or trying to help them process what they're experiencing, which can be incredibly um, harmful. Uh, Yeah. And actually re-traumatizing. And I'm even, I'm even like, okay, great. So like, what does 800 hours to be a yoga therapist entail? Which I honestly, I don't know. Like I would, I'd be curious to see what that curriculum is and what that, what that actually means. Um, So I don't know. I, and I, I honestly, I feel that it's, 
an issue I have is just like the lack of regulation within the yoga community. Like I have to have continuing education. I have a licensing body that like checks in with me, right? Like doppel. And, and I just, I don't, so there is some, there's some concern around that for me. Even if you are this yoga therapist, like how are you actually being held accountable? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, this is, this is a massive problem in the yoga community right now. And, you know, I'm a yoga educator. And so I have to always be concerned about this as well. Like, okay, well, so I have this yoga school and what am I teaching compared to this yoga school over here? And if you, you know, and, and of course there's such a big debate about the 200 hour yoga alliance or even the 500 hour yoga alliance and how do we keep a standard across that? And, and what is that standard? Is that enough? Is that not enough? And, and I absolutely don't think 200 hours or 500 hours or 800 hours is enough education to be a, a qualified yoga teacher. If this is your profession. Um, and if you're, if you're teaching more than a fitness routine at the gym, Mm -hmm. that being said, I understand though, too, that, you know, 200 hours can seem like a lot of time to somebody. And, um, certainly in Norway where I was, I was, the same year I registered my school in Norway, there was one other school that I know of that was also registering a 200 and a 500 hour training. So in Norway, there was nothing before that. The the training that I was aware of was a 16 hour weekend training at the gym that cost about a hundred us dollars. And then there were a few other studios in the country that were offering yoga education, but at different, different hours and different, it wasn't within the context of yoga Alliance and and I certainly don't think Yoga Alliance is the end-all be-all, but I have chosen to play that game. So I do that game, even though I think that my curriculum is much uh, better than the required curriculum that Yoga Alliance puts forward. So there's that whole side of it as well. And, and so I think that gets, you know, it's like, okay, well, what is yoga education? And, and I think about that a lot. But then in the context of our conversation, you know, where you're an actual therapist that does have to have continuing education and there is an accrediting body that checks up on you and and there's an ethical board that reviews if you get complaints and we have none of that in the yoga community and isn't that like and and just seeing what has happened over the years within the mass trauma of the yoga community and the lack of consent yes like it's horrifying it's completely horrifying. Like it, at least within, you know, the field of therapy, like if the accusations came forth and were backed up, which most of the time they can be right. Like they're more than <laughs> accusations. Um, that person would lose their license. They would never be able to practice again, but what Bikram can go like fucking live somewhere now and like be free of the fact that he's sexually assaulted. And how many people still run his teacher trainings at a thousand dollars a pop. Who are these people who are paying 10,000 to still go to his trainings? That's what I want to know. I don't know. I don't, like, I don't know. And, and I just think it speaks to the yoga community really needing, God, they need something. It needs something. Wow. That's a really, that's a really strong insight. I haven't considered that before, That that that's what it speaks to is that, People are so hungry for connection and community and 
a way to activate personal inquiry <laughs> that they're still willing to overlook. But to yeah. be fair, too, I mean, this has happened in every tradition, spiritual tradition and, and religious tradition since the beginning of time. And it can t- and it will likely continue to, right? Like in therapy, just because we have those standards of practice doesn't mean that we don't have therapists sleeping with their clients. Yeah, we do. It still happens. But it's like, at least, at least on some level, there's a form of accountability. And I feel like, I feel like there's a, this is kind of a big statement. I feel like there's a lack of accountability within the yoga community. I, I 100% agree. And <clears throat> a lack of ethics. Yeah. Unfortunately, I see that. I see that more often than I'd like to. Um, you know, and I, <clears throat> I'm going to share a story with you <laughs> that, uh, you know, it extends, this is not just in the yoga community. I mean, it's in this wellness community at large. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's just becoming more and more of a problem with when we think about social media and influencers, and there's a lot of money behind wellness products in the wellness industry. And, and I feel like things have just snowballed and snowballed and snowballed. But I had an experience recently, and it's still just, I, I, I don't even have a word for it. Let me, I'll tell you what happened. Um, I was doing a training. I try to do at least a training a year, sometimes two a year for myself and my own education. And <clears throat> I was in this training and uh, I, because of COVID, it had gone online. It was supposed to be in California. And I was like, shoot, I can't get to California. Just this year, it wasn't going to happen. And then COVID happened and the training was moved online. And I was like, awesome, I can still attend. And it was live in LA. So I had to like, I was up until like three in the morning here in Norway to attend this training. And it was a weekend training and uh, or it was four days. And it was pretty expensive. And um, what ended up the training ended up being first of all, the training curriculum was terrible. It was um, and there were 50 people in this training. It was online on zoom. And the entire weekend training existed one breakout session where I was paired with somebody else and it was a 15 minute session and we talked about money and our relationship to money. And that's fine. I'm, I'm on board with that. The rest of the training though was literally this facilitator um, taking questions from a book that he had written and, and he would call on one, somebody in the zoom group and then point blank, ask them the question from his book. And these questions were meant to be provocative. They were meant to, encourage you to dig deep into your experiences as a human and any of your life experiences. Okay, fine and well. However, uh, this is where it crossed over for me. I could see as soon as this training got started, um, you know, again, I'm a facilitator. I've been doing this for many years. I'm very hyper aware of how I try to um, ask questions within a group setting or even a one-on-one setting so that I'm not triggering somebody to have an experience that I'm not able to, to help them with. And I could see right away, the the exact opposite was coming from this facilitator where I felt like he was actually intentionally provoking people to have a dramatic response so that he could swoop in and then all of a sudden be the savior. And all of a sudden be like, Oh, you're having this, this massive healing experience because I'm here. And here's what the question. So I'm sitting there, I'm listening to all these strangers answer these questions. And then finally it gets to my turn. 
so I've had no interaction with this teacher. I know nothing, nobody in this group. Uh, so he's like calling on the names. Okay, so uh, Jessica Winderall, um, what is your experience with sexual abuse? And what do you think about sexual abuse? What the fuck? Yes. Yes. I was so shocked. Elizabeth, I, oh this, man, this, this man is not a trained therapist. He has no qualifications beyond this healing modality that he teaches. Wait, or let me guess it's breath work. <laughs> yeah. You might even be able to guess the teacher, but oh, I, um, I think I have an idea, but yeah. yeah. And um, I was so shocked. And so I answered the question, like I, I couldn't even say this was inappropriate. I just like froze. And then I, I answered the question. I was like, I was like, well, I don't, I don't have any experience with sexual abuse. I don't. And, and, and I knew for a fact, because people had already shared that there were people in this group who had severe experiences with sexual abuse. And so I said, first of all, I don't have any experience with this. And I don't even want to try to answer this question because it might be upsetting to somebody in this group who has actual experience. And so I said, the only thing I can answer about this question is for me coming back to, to the yoga sutras of Patanjali and like, you know, brahmacharya and right use of sexual energy. And how can I be mindful of, of how I use my sexuality? And I was like, that's about as close as I can get to answering this question. And it was literally 60 seconds and then it was done. And then I just went back to sitting and listening to other people answer questions. And some people are crying and some people are like, oh my God, this is so great. I can share. And other people are like, I don't know what to do. And, and so in my opinion, this is a cheap parlor trick that is using the anonymity of a group to make people feel comfortable with sharing their deep, dark secrets. And then all of a sudden they feel unburdened because they've released it. And then they're left. We hang up on the call and the training's done. And then these people are left with nothing and no resources. So anyways, that was an experience I had this year. Well, 2020, <laughs> less than a year ago. And I'm like, okay, so this, this bullshit is still happening everywhere. And there's no ethical clarity. There is no ethical concern about the harm that could be done by people who don't stay in their lane. Even the fact that like there are 50 people. Yeah. Like, to establish like a container and a group work of safety, like I really believe that, and, and I think teacher trainings can be a little bit different, but like within that space, like 10 is the cap. Like at least, at least within therapeutic work, in my opinion. Yeah. And Yalom, who is a group therapist, talks a lot about that. But like, I'm so sorry. Like, and and I'm I'm just I'm also just like so grateful that you haven't experienced sexual assault and what that would have been like for you. Oh, exactly. I mean, what if, I mean, this could have gone so many different ways and, you know, and, and I, I got off that weekend and I was like, wow, that was a waste of my time. That was a waste of my money. It was expensive. And, and also just, it hurt my heart because I do the work that I do because I care so deeply about people having a safe space and people having a community that they feel safe in and connected to. And that's a really big part of what I try to create at the Atman Yoga School is it's not about sharing your deepest, darkest, darkest secrets. Like you're not required to share anything to be part of my community. Yes. You're not, you're not required to have some huge, heavy baggage to be part of 
of my community. Um, you show up as you are and you take what you need and, you know, you enjoy what, what's there. And I just, I, I think about these people who, you know, for me, I just was able to like kind of brush it off. Cause I was like, wow, that was really crappy. Because you have that window of tolerance. Like you have that ability to understand what safe facilitation is and to know like that wasn't it. Exactly. And that, and, and so for me, it, it was an inconvenience, but to other people in that group, it could possibly have been, you know, a massive setback in their own personal healing journey. And, and here's the kicker. <laughs> so it was, it was one of the, um, the topics of this training that weekend, mm-hmm. group facilitation. <laughs> And I, I was like, oh, you're teaching us how to facilitate a group. Okay. First of all, there was none of that curriculum anyways. It was just these stupid questions from his book. But I was like, oh my God. Um, that is in group facility. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> the, the, the tie up to that story is oh, the fact God. that, um, you know, I mean, I don't even, here's the problem. I don't know where we start. And I think you know, we start with personal accountability, the word that you used, and I love that word. But what happens when people who are in positions of power don't have personal accountability? (laughs) And that, honestly, I think we've seen what happens. You just explained it. Yeah, no, exactly. And so so then it's like almost the self-fulfilling prophecy of like, okay, well, we can't make our leaders and our teachers be personally responsible. It has to come from within. It has to come from the space of, I want to be a person of integrity. I want to be a person who's trustworthy. I want to be a person who's trying to serve the greatest good. And and who's also doing my work, right? Yeah. That's the thing. Like, And I'm sure this person thinks that they've done the work. I'm sure this person thinks that they're capable and able to do what they're doing. And I'm sure they have changed people's lives. Right. I'm sure people have had that. Yeah. You know, and, and I know for a fact that that's exactly what people say, like, oh, you know, this practice changed my life and, and I found so much healing from this. And, you know, it's, I had kind of an interesting experience after this happened and I was kind of sitting with it and I was like, okay, well, I didn't learn anything from that training, but I can have some takeaways in terms of let me reevaluate how I facilitate my trainings and yes. just reconfirm, reaffirm my commitment to, to always be on the path of highest integrity so that, that I'm never walking that line of uncertainty and trying to put my posi- myself in a position where, you know, people look at me as their healer. Like that's, that's ridiculous. And power dynamic. that power dynamic. And, you know, and then I, the other thought that I had after all, I was processing all of this for myself was I, I know some other people who have done these trainings and not people, there's two people in my local community. So I'm not talking <laughs> about those people. I'm talking about people in the U S and uh, I, it changed my perception of them that they held this teacher to such a high standard because it made me question the depth of their own trauma that perhaps hasn't been fully healed. If 
if we look to a teacher, and we can look at this in any of the yogic traditions as well, people who follow Iyengar, people who follow Patabi Joyce, people who follow Bikram, and they're like, that man changed my life. And then now they're a teacher and they have students and their students are like, oh, that teacher changed my life. When we trace that lineage back, we trace that training dynamic back, then it's kind of like, hmm, okay, well, that middleman teacher, I personally lose a little bit of respect. If I'm like, oh, okay, so that your teacher, the one who's the unethical one or the, the one who's abusing students, you had so much healing come from this teacher that then I can't trust that you are in a position that's stable and grounded and sincere. So I don't know. It's, it's, it, 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 for me, it's like what I'm, what I'm hearing and what I'm interested is in this piece of giving our power to other people, right? Like this, this like lack of self-trust in that someone did that for you rather than you did that. Like you were the one that did this asana practice or you're the one that has moved through. Like, I'm curious about whether it's teachers or therapists or anyone who is in this dynamic. The, and for those of you that are listening, I'm like using my hands and, you know, creating a hierarchy where like this power dynamic and persons that want to maintain this power dynamic, I want to get curious about that because really it's this. Yeah. There is no, I am more powerful or more knowledgeable, right? Like my clients have all of the knowledge. My job as a clinician, as a teacher is to remind them of that. Hmm. To remind them that they're not broken, that they're actually whole and that they're powerful. And that they have all of the knowledge and wisdom to trust themselves. They may have just had some stuff happen that makes that difficult. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's, that's yoga in action, right? Yeah. When we get out of the way and, and the yoga is the healer and that. Yes. It's practice. Yeah. And the, the self-awareness is the healer. It's not coming from an external source. It's just you and your role of therapist, you're a, a very intentional facilitator. You know? I trained to be that though, right? Yeah. Right. Trained well. <laughs> you're not, you didn't just like one day show up and put out a shingle and say, hey, come see Elizabeth the therapist. Right? Like you got therapist. <laughs> the 200 hour training. Yeah. Such, I can be such an asshole. I just am like, Y'all, I'm an Enneagram eight and I just like, I'm very like forward, which I also appreciate about you. I appreciate your forwardness because I think there's so much nuance to this conversation. Like I don't want there to be this view of dichotomy with, within it. And, and I think your question is so powerful and like, what do we do with it? Like, how do we even, how do we even start? And I'm just like, like, fuck, I am not entirely sure because I think there are so many factors that continue to uphold. Right. Well, and we know this, too, both from yoga and I'm sure within your space as a therapist. You know, people, we're all seeking something. And no matter what our life experience has been within the context of our own life, we've all had challenges 
and setbacks and disappointments and heartbreaks and trauma. And so it's, it's, we can't say that somebody's trauma is more awful than somebody else's. I mean, it, it, it very well could be if we're using different parameters of comparison, but when we remove that comparison game and we're just like, Hey, you know what? I'm a human who's experienced pain and suffering. And then you talk to the person next to you and you're like, Hey, you're a human who's experienced pain and suffering. And when you put it, when you break it down to that like basic level, it's like, okay, well, it makes sense then that we're all just looking for something. And we're all just looking for something to help us navigate the experience of being human and hopefully find a little bit of peace and joy and ease. And, you know, people walk through the doors of yoga, usually, you know, for the first time or the first couple of times, because they need a lifeline, they need something that is going to be positive in their life. And you experience this, I experience this, you know, we usually start with the asana. That's the most typical, typical experience. And for most of us too, I mean, our mind body connection is severed. And so we start moving our body in a new way. And it's, it's like, you know, the teacher says, lift your right leg. And you're like, I don't know where my right leg is. Like, I can't actually feel it because I'm disassociated right now. But yeah, like, yeah. And so then when we start putting it in that kind of a context, it's like, oh my God, well, of course, everybody in yoga, everybody who comes to therapy is looking for answers. And so I think when we're already looking for answers, it becomes a little bit easier for people to take advantage of that, to, to that, that power of, of persuasion. The vulnerability, right? Like I, I truly believe that people want to be seen and understood. Absolutely. At the core of our human nature, we just want someone to look at us and be like, I totally understand why you'd feel that way. And I think we've all tried to look and find different ways that we can feel and experience that. And so sometimes when we have a teacher, maybe even if there is a power dynamic, right? And we can go into like inner child, we can go into attachment trauma and how to be seen and heard by maybe a person that we see as a father figure or someone that has that authority can be seen as like this, oh, you see me, you hear me. And, and that can sometimes translate into, let me give you my power because we want to be seen and we want to be heard so desperately. And so we give up our own autonomy and our own trust to, to feel that. And also a lot of times too, having somebody tell us what to do or how we should feel if it's an unethical teacher or facilitator, it takes, it, it comes back to the idea of safety and it comes back to, then it's easy. Like we've been told what to do. We've been told how we should feel and it removes the pain of investigating our own experience. Yes, because we've that's often what we've been told our whole lives, right? So in attachment theory, in order to be loved and accepted, we learn how to be loved and accepted by our caregivers. So we basically learn how to not trust ourselves, rather how to be accepted in the eyes of someone else mm-hmm. to be safe. It says a lot about teaching 
right? Power dynamics, how we feel loved and accepted. Well, and then too, think about what we said at the beginning of our conversation about, you know, and sometimes it's easier to put forward this shiny, superficial persona or packaging. And what happens now if your teacher or your leader or your therapist or your facilitator is putting forward this image of perfection? And you're just a human who's experiencing life and you are falling into the trap of believing that that is reality. And that if you somehow follow this teacher or you make your therapist like you, or you say what you think they want to hear. Yes. Then all of a sudden. (laughs) Yeah, it's so often (laughs) because we just, yeah, we want to be loved and accepted, but that perfectionism in anything, right. In asana in work, perfectionism stifles authenticity. Well, and it's, it's just not reality. It's not obtainable. Yeah. No. Like what the fuck is perfection? Like no one even knows what perfectionism and there's like, I just have to be perfect. And it's like this thing in the distant there. And then maybe if I achieve that, but like, it's still not that. Well, and then even if you were quote unquote to achieve it, like for example, why don't we use the stereotypical example of what a yoga teacher looks like? A yoga teacher is, yeah, this is, this is the shiny superficial not true, not based in reality perception of what a yoga teacher looks like. Skinny, white, blonde hair. And so then able-bodied, whether visibly or, I mean, invisible disability is a big, is a big thing, but yes, able-bodied, very able-bodied. Yes. Hyper mobile and flexible and whatever. And people, you know, come to yoga either because that's what they think if they if they achieve that they're going to be happy or it's also or and or no and not and or and it's so exclusionary that then it's upsetting to the people who don't see themselves in that fake perfection and i think that happens all the time in our in our world not just in yoga but using this example that many of us would be familiar with and so it's like, okay, well, I would, I want to go to a teacher who doesn't have all the answers. And I want to go to a teacher who has some mess in their life, not in like a bad way, like hopefully it's under control and they know what's happening, <laughs> but a human, I want to, you know, and it's, you know, like you're saying, you think that most people, all people want that, that sense of being seen of like truly being seen. And I don't think we can truly be seen by somebody who's pretending to fulfill some fake ideal of perfection. So I think in order for us as the human searching or craving connection, that can actually authentically only happen with somebody else who is truly in a space of authenticity. Yeah, well, and that ability and part of that authenticity being human and being okay to step out of ego. Like, and to fuck up and to be able to admit, like, there's the accountability piece, right? Like, like, I wonder what would have happened in this breathwork circle if someone like, like if I were, (laughs) oh my God, I would have, I would have been like, oh, if I were there, like, I would have said something. 
Yeah. I would like, this is completely inappropriate. And this is not cultivating a space of bravery, like, and security because not everyone can feel safe. Right. And even feeling seen isn't safe for a lot of people. Um, Yeah. I just, well, and I took it a step. I was, you know, I thought about it in so many different ways and I was like, okay, first of all, I was too taken aback. Like I couldn't have said anything being put on the spot, but I was there all weekend, you know, and, and I saw this happening, but I also saw the response that most of the other students were having where they were like, oh my God, this is life changing. And, and so then all of a sudden I kind of played it out in my mind and I was like, all right, what happened? Cause I thought about actually sending an email and asking for my money back um, after, because I was so, it was just, it, it was the biggest waste of my time and money. And, and then I was like, ah, oh, I, I think I see where this might go. And I had a, an idea that it might go down the lane of gaslighting of like, oh, well, you're, it was because you weren't open to the healing power of the practice or, oh, you still have other things to work out or, you know, everybody else had a really amazing experience. And who knows, I, I'm projecting, I understand. But I also have had enough experience with people like this, where, you know, in the feel of the group, where it's almost like this cult mob mentality, where the one person breaks down and is like, oh my God, I'm having such an amazing experience. And the other person is like, me too. And then all of a sudden, if you're the outlier and you're like, wait a minute, what's happening here is so inappropriate. Then all of a sudden they turn on you and they're like, well, wait a minute, why are you being weird about this? And it's you know, when you have 50 people, 49 people who are having it like an amazing life-changing experience. And then you have one rational voice come out and be like, wait a minute, what's happening here? It's kind of like, you know, and then I was like, you know what, I'm a student. Like, it's not my role to hold space here. You know, in my trainings, I have to, that is my job. And of course that would never, ever, ever happen anyways. But I was kind of like, all right, I, I don't know if what I did was cowardly or if it was totally appropriate, but I was like, nah, I'm just gonna wash my hands. Not my job, not my responsibility. And you know what? I feel bad for these people who I thought were getting duped and possibly even really harmed. But again, not, you know, I paid my money and then I said goodbye. But isn't it interesting to notice and watch that self-doubt? Yes. To watch exactly that we, we want to be accepted and connected. And so we doubt ourselves when maybe we're not connecting or being accepted in the way that other people are. And, you know, for, for me, this is my own personal thing that, that, that I've observed over the years too, is, you know, I'm very confident in the position of teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, but I often, I suffer from perfectionism as a student. And so when I am asking a question that's not, falling into line with what the teacher is saying, I get really uncomfortable, you know, and that's my own thing that I deal with. And I'm like, okay, why am I, why do, why do I struggle with this? You know? So yeah, it is. But then it, it does flip into this doubt and this uncertainty of like, oh, should I say something? Should I not say something? Oh my God, is this a stupid question? What's this? What's that? And, and I know the root of that and it's, it's perfectionism. And, you know, this idea that, okay, in order to be a teacher or hold space, I need to be overqualified. Yeah. How am I accepted and loved? How am I accepted and loved as a teacher? How am I accepted and loved as a student? How am I accepted and loved as a daughter? Mm -hmm. 
because that's really where it comes from. Yeah. So it's, you know, and then, and then, you know, we have so many different facets to ourselves and coming back to the first question, you know, who are you? I'm a human. human. (laughs) You Jess. (laughs) And it's, you know, very interesting to observe which situations we're confident in and which situations we're not confident in. And what is it that that changes in certain situations to allow those two conditions to occur. And then you add into the mix, this is my profession. This is your profession. Mm-hmm. So then there's now this added layer of complexity to how we show up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, there is an added layer because it's like, okay, well, how human am I? How human do I feel comfortable showing myself to be? What is professional? Mm-hmm. Yes. And there's that whole inner critic dialogue that tends to happen, right? That self-judgment. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's just so many, so much to talk about here. I love it. It's, <laughs> there are some teachers who, who, whether I'm not, I'm not so worried about them being dangerous, like this one yeah. facilitator I thought was. But, you know, we both know, I'm sure, a lot of teachers who are oversharers. And it's maybe not unethical, but it's probably not professional. (laughs) Where it's like their life story is just every day, what they had for breakfast, when their dog took a poo. (laughs) You know, everything's on Instagram, everything's publicized. And it's like, okay, well, where's the value in that? You know, and where do we draw that line between showing our humanity and then also maintaining a level of professionalism so that we're not crossing any lines or blurring any lines between friendship and facilitator? Boundaries, right? Those very, those very clear boundaries. And I think it's challenging too, right? Because I think so much of that, it does come out of wanting to be seen, wanting to be accepted. And if I show all of these parts of myself, then maybe I'm going to be accepted. Maybe one of those parts will be accepted. Mm-hmm. And I think so much of our conversation, it's really interesting, seems to be circling around to this like concept and this idea of accountability within community, self-trust. And I really want to be very clear that none of this is in a space of like victim blaming. Like, oh, I, I really, because I think sometimes people can hear, oh, well, like accountability and self-trust, like, are we just then putting this on like others and are we then blaming the victim or, and it's like, no, 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 like there, and that's what accountability is and self-trust is, is being able to have your trauma and have your experience be seen, heard and validated. This isn't like, oh, you're putting yourself in this position. Like, I want to be really clear when we're talking about like self-trust and accountability and teachers who have an unhealthy power dynamic. Mm-hmm. Like, sure, maybe there's some, this is like such a hard line in like the world of trauma, right? Like, because we seek what we know. Mm. Oh, that's good. Yeah. We seek what we know. And I want to be clear that that is not a fault, right? Like that's not 
your fault that you're seeking what you know. We're seeking what's comfortable for us. We're seeking what's familiar for us. But are you talking about in terms of a teacher who is in the role of holding space for others? Or are you talking about the students who find that teacher who's maybe abusing the trust? Both. Both. Have you ever had a teacher you just felt icky about? Yes. Like you just felt icky. Like it sounds like this past experience was also icky. For some people, that icky feels familiar. So it's actually safer. Yeah. I understand that. I absolutely understand that. But I don't think it's, you know, and that's a whole separate thing for those individuals. Yeah, like, and that is really nuanced. And this is getting into like, trauma and how trauma shows up within power dynamics and how, if that makes sense. No, it totally makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. Like I, I'm, I a hundred percent understand why somebody might seek out or stay in a situation um, because, you know, there's so much fear in the unknown and oftentimes it is more comfortable to stay with the known, even if the known is causing distress or suffering itself. Totally. And I, I understand that absolutely. And I'm hundred percent with you that we're not seeing anything about the victims bringing this upon themselves or shaming them. Yeah. I just like, I feel that's so important to share, right. Yeah. For someone that may be listening and like, cause when we get triggered, we hear things differently. Uh, Literally like our ear, like things change. <laughs> and so, and so I think it's really important to just acknowledge that maybe for the person that is listening to this conversation and is like, are they saying it's my fault? No, of course not. Yes. yes. So that's why I want to bring this up. Like, no, not your fault. Yeah. Not your fault. If you found yourself in a position where there's a power dynamic happening or an unhealthy relationship within any Formal relationship, no, that is not your fault. Absolutely. You're, and, and so that's what I wanted to clarify. Yeah. Okay. I just wasn't sure about, yeah. you know, now I'm, I'm, now I'm thinking about the teacher who is, is perhaps stuck in, in a deep space of trauma, who now is turning around and pretending either they have all the answers or is blurring that power dynamic with their students you know, and, and I think if you call yourself and I have, I do have a lot of compassion for yoga teachers mm-hmm. or maybe even therapists. I'm sure, you know, therapists too, or, or know of therapists who are deep in the middle of their own shit. And I get it. We all are. I, I yes, we all are. But I guess <laughs> the distinction I want to make is while I have a lot of compassion and understanding for that, when we set ourselves up as some type of an authority, mm-hmm. you know, not the authority, but an authority like, oh, okay, I've done this training and, and I have this experience or I have this education and, and we now are in, in the position of holding power. I think it's very, very dangerous for people to be in that position without addressing their own trauma, without yes. addressing whatever's happened to them. And so, yes. you know, when, when, we're, when we're saying that statement or you're saying that statement, like we're not blaming the victim. 
No. You know, if we're talking about the teacher who's the victim, then my only response to that is, yes, I understand that they might be in a space of victimhood in some way in their life, but then they should remove themselves from the position of teacher or therapist or authority. To do their work. To do their work. That's what, that's what I think. That's, that's my opinion. So whatever. But I think it's, that's where a lot of the danger happens is people do continue to hold this authority over other people and put themselves on that pedestal. Like you were saying, like, Oh, I've got it all figured out. I have all the answers. I know how to do this. And then behind closed doors, their life is a mess. And, you know, and I, I had referred to like, Oh, I want to teach her with a little bit of mess. I want like controlled mess. Like what's, what's the word? Like, um, uh, relatable mess. I don't want a teacher who behind the scenes is a shit show with no accountability happening. And so I think that's the distinction is that like, okay, are you being human? Or are you being like, you're in a crisis and you need to take a step back. And if you're in a crisis and need to take a step back, then you should not be teaching (laughs) people. No, I hear that. I totally hear that. I very much hear that piece. And I think, I think it's really doing that work to know when it we're no longer able to support when we're no longer able to support and ourselves when whatever position that is, whether it's a teacher or therapist, when we need to be supported. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's I'm, I try to be very, very conscious of that for myself. And, you know, I had my baby six months ago and and I had a, a bit of trauma around that and complications both for me and for my baby and, you know, being fairly quiet on social media, being very, quiet in how I'm sharing information about my personal life until I've had time to sit and sift and investigate and kind of get to the other side where at least I have more stable footing. And so for me, you know, coming back to that question from earlier as well, like, okay, well, how do, how do our, how do our leaders stand in a position of integrity and accountability? And for me, that's exactly it. Removing myself when I can't think clearly because my personal life is taking too much of my own energy. And, and I'm, I'm, I would imagine you feel the same way too with your work is we have to be clear vessels. We can't be clouded by our own perceptions and emotions and thoughts at the back of our mind. Otherwise we can't fully be of service. Yeah. Learning how to, I think, hold space. Um, And, you know, it's been really interesting, like being a therapist in the middle of a pandemic has been a lot. It's, you know, I I think that therapists very much a lot, and I can't speak for all of this. I'll speak for myself though. Like basically I put myself in my family role, right? Like I had this moment where I was like, oh my God, my job is my family role. (laughs) that I've healed and I had to really really come to that and do work of like, is this my work for myself or is this my work because this is what's familiar or is this this work because this is what I feel passionately about. And it it really came back down to and around of like, this is what I feel passionately about. But I think taking care of ourselves is so much about that, like being aware. And I will tell you that at least for myself, And I don't know how other therapists are feeling, but like it can be challenging sometimes 
right? Mm. Like moving through something like a pandemic alongside my clients, like having that same fear and that same uncertainty and that like, it has definitely been (laughs) one of those, like, no one, no one teaches you this in graduate school. No one teaches you how to hold space for yourself and other people during a time of deep collective trauma. And, and so it's like, yeah, I hear what you're saying. And also there's a lot of both and sometimes, right? Like I can't go turn off the pandemic. Right. I can't take care of myself though and go to my own therapy if that makes sense. So like, I think there are times of turmoil and chaos and I think, I guess my point is, is that stepping back and caring for ourselves and doing our work can look different in so many different situations. Mm, I love that. And I think that's an important message too, is that that self-work or that self-care or that self-healing doesn't have to look the same for everybody. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I wanted to ask you one last question before we we sign off here. Um, quickly, also, my computer is about to die. Shortly. Oh, that's good to know. <laughs> no, we're great. Good. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do you finish it? Well, actually, I have so many more questions, but I guess. What are your what are your thoughts or maybe explanation on if you're if you, do you use yoga or meditation or any of these other somatic practices in your therapy or do you keep them separate or what's your opinion opinion on that? Um, I keep both. I do both. Um, I'm I'm a somatic therapist, which means that I'm very centered around the connection of body um, with the body. That's one of the you know, if you were reading my bios, like <laughs> things that I would say of what like style of therapist I am. Um, yes, I do. I use yoga a lot in group process work. So the practice of asana is often something that I'll do in the beginning of something or mid of something, really depending on like what it is to help to bilaterally stimulate or process what was being discussed or to invite people into the space of their body, if that's something that they're feeling secure enough to do. I use a lot of like, I rest yoga yoga nidra to process core beliefs um, and understanding where that felt sense might be within the body. A lot of like, Yes, mindfulness, meditation. But again, that isn't for everyone. And every human is so unique and so different in what it is that they need and how they need to be supported or want to be supported. But it's definitely something that I integrate within within my practice. Mm-hmm. So it looks different. So it's kind of like a roundabout answer. Like it's not a definitive yes in this way and no in this way. I guess, yes, I do. And it's just... It depends on who I'm working with and is it a retreat? Is it a therapy group? Is it an individual session? And yes, I so believe in asana. I so believe in meditation. I so believe in mindfulness. I so believe in that somatic work to help facilitate process. Um, Because so much of, I think, the work that I do is about 
here and here connecting. Mm. Like I don't view the mind and the body as separate. I view them as they're this thing that works together, right? We feel something somatically within our body, like an emotion. And then we go through this whole process and then we move into feelings and feelings are then connected with our core beliefs or our thoughts or our past experiences. And so we have to work with this whole thing. And so yoga and somatic work is really beautiful. And like, where does that live? Mm. Oh, and how do we connect here? Mm. I love it. So yeah, we do. That makes me think of the koshas and just like moving through the layers of our being and like mm. getting to it, getting to the integration of it all. Yes. And sometimes it's safer, right? To start here in the brain. Mm. And, and so sometimes that's where we start because this is safer and this isn't as safe. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I absolutely understand that, that thought. What, okay. I have one last question. One, one yeah. last question. Um, you know, therapy is often seen or, or it has this outdated perception of being for people who are, you know, crazy or loony, or I don't even, I don't even want to say it because it is so gross, but unfortunately a lot of people have that kind of idea. There's a stigma around mental health and the stigma around using therapy as a tool of self-care and as a way to help you just be a little bit more grounded and a little bit more easeful in your life. What are, what are your thoughts or experience on how therapy can be used yeah, no, I, again, I think therapy is so unique and so individual to every person that's seeking it. Um, but, but no, like I, I do, I think there's this idea that, and even within the States, right. That I have to be really like messed up or really broken and like air quotes around all of these things, um, <laughs> in order to seek therapy and no, not at all. Like, Therapy is this beautiful thing where like, it's a place where you can go to be seen and heard. It's a place where you are not going to be judged literally at all. It's a place where maybe you for the first time can be held. Like a place where you can cry, a place where you get to learn how to be vulnerable or brave a place where you get to heal your relationship with yourself like I like I like I like get emotional thinking about like how much like I love it (laughs) and how much I love this practice and like how powerful it is Like I'm thinking of like my clients coming to me and telling me something that they did that they never would have done because of the work that they did. And it's just so beautiful to believe that we can be who we want to be. And that we're whole. That is so beautiful. It's, I can just see like the love in your eyes and the passion in your voice. And it's, 
that's what our world needs, you know, and, and people like you doing this work. Mm. I mean, it takes so much bravery. Like I'm literally in awe of the work that I have the pleasure to sit with and watch my clients be in. Like, it's, it's incredible. It's unbelievable. That is so awesome. Oh, well, and I'm, I'm so happy for you that your, your path has brought you to this place and that you get to do the work that you do. Me too. What a gift to be able Mm -hmm. to so fully show up and shine in the way in which you are called to shine. Yeah. Yeah, it's been an interesting ride getting there. And it's, yeah, it's really beautiful. It's a pleasure for sure. Oh, well, I think on that amazing, amazing note, mm-hmm. we'll say goodbye. So wonderful connecting with you. Mm. It was so awesome. Thank you for your time and your insight and your wisdom and um, my opinions, your opinions, <laughs> your outspoken opinions. It's awesome. And yeah, well, I'll link to your website and everything and your Instagram on the show notes for everybody listening. And, um, and my new, my new website, which is Salt City Therapy. Um, that's my practice name is being in the process of being built. And so that'll be there eventually right now. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yay. All right. Well, I'm on 2% on my battery, so I'm going to say goodbye, but Elizabeth, so awesome. Thank you so much. And um, we'll be in touch. Thank you, Jess. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.